Well, back in September, our country was riveted by the confirmation hearings of Judge Brett Kavanaugh. And while it wasn't a courtroom trial per se, Judge Kavanaugh was certainly on trial as to whether he was fit to serve on the Supreme Court of the United States. And so senators heard testimony from Judge Kavanaugh as well as Dr. Christine Ford related to whether or not he assaulted Dr. Ford back in high school. And so because the incident happened so long ago and there wasn't much sort of actual evidence present, the senators had to weigh testimony. Like the decision came down to whose testimony did the senators believe? Now, my point here isn't to judge those hearings, whether it was right or wrong. My point is just to say that testimony carries weight. And if you watch those, I'm sure you probably developed an opinion on whose testimony was more credible. I'm sure you made a decision as to who you believed, whose testimony you said, that is true testimony. I wonder, how did you make that decision? How did you arrive at who you were going to believe? How did you decide which testimony you were going to adhere to? For those of you who have just joined us, we have been in a study in the book of 1 John. And in the closing chapter of his letter, the Apostle John is calling the church to weigh the validity of testimony. You see, contradictory testimony about the person and work of Jesus had come into the church and was creating confusion, creating chaos, actually had caused a church split. And so John is calling this church to attention and saying, hey, who do you believe? Whose testimony are you listening to? Whose testimony carries weight and validity for you? And really, it's fitting that this passage is where we are the Sunday before Christmas because this time of year, much like Easter, sparks discussion and debate about who Jesus really is. A lot of discussion around Christ this time of year. Plenty of contradictory testimony about who Jesus is this time of year. So doing some research, I wanted to say, what what do people in this country say about Christ? And so I found, uh, this is the the latest research that I found that the Barna Group did. This is from 2015, so just a few years ago. Here's what they found out people in the United States believe about Jesus. 92% believe he was a real historical figure. And, And really, pretty much all historians agree that Jesus walk the earth. They debate who he was and the nature of his ministry, but history is pretty clear. Jesus actually walked the earth, and 92% of us believe that. However, only 56% believe he is God, while 26% believe he is simply another religious teacher, and the remaining are unsure. But then when you look at younger generations, the number dips. So only 48% of those of the millennial generation believe he is God, while 35% say He was just a religious teacher. And then 52% of Americans agree, either strongly or somewhat, that while he lived on earth, Jesus Christ committed sins like any other people. And then that number jumps up to 56% of millennials. I recently saw on social media a debate from a well-known evangelical who was musing out loud on social media whether or not Jesus might have had some racist tendencies. 
And so there are those that would say, hey, yeah, I believe Jesus existed, and he might have been God, he might have been a good moral teacher, but he probably committed sin just like the rest of us. Only 42% disagree, either strongly or somewhat, that Jesus committed sins while on earth. Contradictory testimony about Christ. And so we, too, are also confronted with testimony. And so the question for us is the same that it was for the church that John was writing to. Whose testimony do you believe? Whose testimony about Christ do you follow? And so in the passage this morning, John brings us into a hearing of sorts, a courtroom of sorts. And he sets before us witnesses who testify about Christ. And so here's what I want to do. I want to look at the testimony and the witnesses that John presents before us. I want to look at what they say about Jesus. And then I want to come back to this question and ask, who do you believe? Whose testimony do you believe? And so let's first look at the three witnesses that testify. And so let's say you were in the position of being in in a hearing or in a courtroom and, and you were sort of on trial. What kind of witnesses would you want to come in your defense? What kind of people would you want presented before a judge to testify about you? Well, you probably want someone, one, who had a sense of authority. Like they knew what they were talking about. Like people could go and say, yeah, they're not just pulling stuff out of the back of their head. They actually know what they're talking about. So you want someone who has authority, but you also want someone who's credible. Someone people are going to believe. Because it doesn't matter if you're an expert. I mean, you could be an expert. I think you're a liar. I'm not going to listen to you. And so you want someone who has authority, but also credibility. And this is the move John is making here with these particular witnesses. He's summoning the testimony of three witnesses who not only have authority to speak truth, but also carry weight and credibility. And it's interesting that John picks three. And here's what biblical scholars believe that John is doing, is he's sort of appealing to Jewish legal tradition that said, hey, any testimony is airtight if there are three witnesses. And so John is saying, I'm not bringing one testimony, I'm not bringing one witness, I'm not bringing two, I'm bringing three. This case is airtight, locked down, authoritative. And here are the witnesses that John holds before us, verses six through eight. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. There are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these things, these three agree. So the witnesses that John holds before us are the water, the blood, and the Spirit. And so we need to ask ourselves, well, what's the water, what's the blood, and what does John mean by the Spirit? So let's look at each one of these, testi- these witnesses and see what their testimony is. And so first, water. The water here is a reference to the baptism of Jesus, or Jesus going through the waters of baptism. So then we have to ask the question, well, what does Jesus' baptism testify about him? What, what does that say about who he is? Well, there's multiple layers to Jesus, the meaning of Jesus' baptism, and so we'll acknowledge that there's, there, there are those, but we're going to focus on two. So there are sort of two that John is focusing on here in this passage. And so to see those, let's quick go to Matthew chapter 3 and see the baptism of Jesus. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, 
This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And so central to the meaning of Jesus' baptism is his identity. And we see his identity being declared in two ways. First, Jesus being baptized was his anointing as a Messiah. So we see in scripture that whenever God calls someone to a particular task, something significant, he usually anoints them in some ceremony. He marks them. He says, hey, you are mine and here's your mission. And so Jesus' baptism was his anointing as the Messiah. God was marking him. Hey, here is my Messiah. Here's the one that I have sent into the world. Don't look for him somewhere else. Don't look for him in that person over there. I'm telling you all right now, I'm marking, I'm anointing. Here is the Messiah. And so Jesus' baptism, the water, authoritatively declares Jesus is the Messiah. But it's not only just Jesus' being the Messiah that the water testifies to. What do we hear when Jesus comes up out of the water? What does God say, what does God testify about Jesus when he comes up out of the water? This is my son, whom I, I am well pleased. Why is that significant? Because Jesus isn't just another man. Jesus isn't just another prophet. Jesus isn't just another human being that God anointed for a particular mission. This is God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. He is far, far different than any other prophet. And why baptism is in view here? Why, why does John pull on baptism as an authoritative witness? Because here's what the false teachers wanted to do. The false teachers wanted to take the baptism of Jesus and make a point about who he was. So we don't know 100% what they were teaching, but here is what some version of this. That Jesus was just a dude, an anointed dude, but a dude nonetheless, that at his baptism, God made him his son. God made him, gave him a special anointing that made him the son of God. And so what John is doing is he's saying, hold up, time out. Let me give you the correct testimony here. You see, baptism held, the baptism of Jesus held particular weight in understanding who Jesus was for John's audience. If they understood the meaning of Jesus' baptism, they would understand who Jesus truly is. Distort the meaning of the baptism, and we lose who Jesus is. So John is using his baptism as an authoritative voice because people would listen to this. People understood the significance of it. And so he says, look, what the water declares is not that Jesus became the Son of God. The water declares that Jesus is the Son of God, has always been the Son of God. He is inherently the Son of God. And so the water testifies to the identity of Christ as the Son of God. And if he is the Son of God, what does that mean? It means that all authority and all power and all majesty and all worship belong to him. He's not another dude that we just kind of look at and go, oh, cool. That's a good guy. That's a smart guy. That's a guy that might have some good advice. No, he is the king. He is the Lord. He is the one that all of our obedience belongs to, all of our worship belongs to. What he says carries absolute weight and authority. And so to those who would minimize who Jesus is, those who would just say Jesus is just another Moral teacher, yeah, a great moral teacher, really wise guy, a really loving guy. The water says no. The water says something more powerful, more beautiful, more profound. This is the Son of God. This is 
not only the Messiah, but the Messiah is the very Son of God. And so that is the testimony of the water. Now, for us, this might feel a little thin because we would go, well, what, what does this ceremony, how, how does this ceremony speak authoritatively to us? Like, like I, okay, during the original audience, they kind of felt that, but I don't know if I feel that today. Well, we still have authoritative anointing ceremonies. We recognize this even in our own culture. Think of how the president of the United States is sworn into office. Like that, that authoritative anointing ceremony has weight because the guy sworn in is the president. Hey, you remember when Obama was first sworn in and how J- Chief Justice Roberts kind of blew the, the swearing-in ceremony and so they did it again because they were wondering, I don't know if he's legally the president. You remember that? I mean, that shows the weight that this anointing ceremony had. And so look, we might not like who the president is. We, we, might, we might push against it and say, I didn't vote for the guy, but the ceremony makes it authoritative. He is the president. And so it's the same thing for us to understand that the baptism of Jesus has authoritative weight. It declares he is the son of God. He is the Messiah. Next, the blood. The next witness to testify is the blood. And the blood is a reference to the death of Christ, to his shedding, to the shedding of his blood for the forgiveness of sins. And so what does the blood testify about Jesus? It declares the nature of his mission. It tells us why he came to this earth. It tells us what the purpose of Christ's coming was. And the New Testament overwhelmingly speaks to the centrality of Christ's atoning death, the shedding of his blood as the purpose of his ministry. Let me give you just a sample from the New Testament. Matthew 26, 28 says, and this is Jesus speaking, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Acts 20, 28, Paul tells the Ephesian elders, care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Romans 3, 23 through 25, Paul tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And then in Romans 5, 9, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood. Ephesians 1, 7, in him, we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Colossians 1, 19 through 20, for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven and on earth, making peace by what? The blood of his cross. And then in 1 John 1, we see this, John even testifies to this, if we walk in the light, As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We could go on and on and on. The testimony is clear. The blood is clear. Jesus came to shed his blood for sinners, to die for us, to take the judgment you and I deserved. The blood of Jesus is absolutely central to his ministry. If you do not understand the blood, then you miss Christ. And John even doubly emphasizes the blood. He says, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. Why the emphasis? Why does he specifically say it's not just the water, but it's also the blood? Because here's what the false teachers were doing as well. 
And the false teachers love Jesus, the one who got baptized with the Spirit. They love Jesus, the one who gives the Spirit, who, who gives knowledge, who gives wisdom. They don't like Jesus who was crucified on a Roman cross. They don't like Jesus suffering, beaten, broken, humiliated, shamed. The false teachers, man, they wanted all the spiritual pyrotechnics. They wanted all the authority. They wanted all the, the, the status that came with, that the, the, they had sort of the insight and the wisdom and the teaching of Jesus. But they wanted to have nothing to do with the Messiah that was shamed and scorned, crucified like a common criminal. That they didn't want suffering to be part of the equation. And so they downplayed. They even said that that spirit that came to Jesus on his, when he was baptized actually left him on the cross. He ceased to be the son of God on the cross. They want nothing to do with the blood. And look, our world isn't much different. Like we don't have necessarily have fancy Gnostic teaching running around. But man, people love Jesus, the great teacher the great moral teacher. Man, they love Jesus, the one who's gonna give you a full and happy, abundant life. They love Jesus, the spiritual guru. Man, Jesus, the one who sticks it to those religious and political leaders that like to be stuffy and hurt you. Man, we love the Jesus who, who will come and care for the marginalized. But we don't like the Jesus who had to die on a cross because you and I are rebellious sinners. We don't like the Jesus who on a cross declares, hey, you're completely and utterly unable to save yourself. That, that, that you stand under the righteous judgment of God. Well, we don't like what the blood says about us, that we need to be forgiven and cleansed from our sin. Man, give me the Jesus who will make me feel happy. Give me the Jesus who will give me a good spiritual pep talk and help me be a better husband and a better uh, boss and a better parent. But don't give me the Jesus that reminds me I'm desperately broken. But the blood testifies. The blood tells us that why Jesus came. Yes, Jesus came to teach us about God's truth. Jesus came to show us how to walk in a way that glorifies God and loves other people. But you cannot detach any of that from the cross. You cannot detach any of that from Jesus shedding his blood. He didn't do it. He doesn't allow us to do it. If we are going to understand the true testimony of who Christ is, we must see what the blood testifies to, and that is that you and I need forgiveness. You and I need salvation. And so the water testifies to who Christ is. The blood testifies to why he came. And the Spirit, the third witness, shows us that this is the truth. John tells us that the Spirit is the truth. And so where the Spirit is present, truth is present. This is what Jesus told his disciples in the Gospel of John about what the Spirit does. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. When the helper comes, who I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. 
Over and over and over, Jesus tells us, the Spirit will lead you into truth. The Spirit will testify true things about me. Oh, this is the beauty of what John is saying. He's, look, we can trust the testimony of the water and the blood because the Spirit is present. Another way to to say this is that because the Spirit is present, the water and the blood testify true things. Here's what this also says, because the Spirit, we're talking about the Holy Spirit, is God himself, the third person of the Trinity. So so what this means is is that the testimony of the water and the blood is the very testimony of God. John John is sort of up in the ante here. He's saying, hey, don't miss this. There is the the baptism, the water. That is a, a ceremonial event. And then there was Christ dying on the cross and shedding his blood. But don't miss who is speaking through those things. God himself. The testimony of God. And this is John's point in verse 9. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. The this is a reference back to the testimony of the water and the blood and the spirit. The water and the blood and the spirit are the means by which God testifies and tells us true things about who Jesus is. And so what this means is, this isn't testimony that we can just sort of dismiss, sort of wave our hands and forget about. This isn't testimony that we can just sort of say, ah, yeah, maybe. No, this is God himself speaking. That this is weighty testimony. And John does this sort of, compares the lesser to the greater. He says, if we listen to the testimony of men, if we'll believe what men will say, how much more should we not believe what God has said? If I want to learn about the theory of relativity, I could go ask my high school science teacher. I mean, he probably knows something. But how much greater would it be to actually go talk to Albert Einstein about it? And so the testimony of men, John isn't, he's saying, hey, there's, there's a weight to the testimony of men. So you listen to preachers. You listen to other disciples of Jesus. We listen to the apostles. We listen to people who know about God and testify true things about God. But even more than that, we listen to the Lord himself. We listen to the testimony of God himself. And he testifies through the water and through the blood and by his spirit who Jesus Christ is. And so it is the testimony of God that is being spoken. And so, have you ever stopped to consider why you would listen to other testimonies about Christ? Why you would listen to other voices about Christ? Why would you listen to contradictory testimonies about Christ? Why would you give them weight when God himself has spoken truth? He's testified He's declared, this is who my son is. This is why he came. We, we have to come to grips with the fact of why are we so prone to listening to other voices? Why do other, other testimonies grab us? Because this is the testimony of the water. This is the testimony of the blood. This is the testimony of the spirit, the very testimony of God. This is what they're declaring in verse 11, that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Lock in with me here for a second. If you haven't been with me up until this point, lock in here just for a couple seconds here. Do you hear the testimony? Do, do you hear the testimony that God is declaring 
eternal life in his son. The testimony is not some inspirational message. Hey, do better, try harder. The testimony isn't, hey, do all of these religious works so that God will like you and let you into heaven. The testimony is not, I'm okay, you're okay, we'll just be, I'll be okay. The testimony is eternal life given in Christ. It's a gift, not a reward. You don't earn gifts. It's actually an insult to the giver to try to earn a gift. But guess who did earn eternal life for us? Guess who did earn this wonderful reward? Jesus Christ. Jesus stepped into our world and perfectly kept the righteous and holy and good law of God for you. Jesus shed his blood so that you can be forgiven and cleansed. And he did it for you. Jesus didn't come to box us in with a bunch of moral rules and hoops to jump through. Jesus came to give us life, to set us free to forgive us so that we can know God as a loving Heavenly Father so that the power of sin can be broken in our lives so that when he returns, we can experience the full restoration of our bodies. No more sin, no more sickness, no more disease, no more conflict. That's why Jesus came. That's the testimony that God holds out for you. Eternal life. Eternal life in his son. Given as a gift. And so again, why? Why are we so prone to listen to other testimonies? Why are we so prone to believe other things that Jesus said when God has declared to us eternal life in his son? So let me go back to this question press a little deeper. Who are we going to believe? Which testimony about Jesus are we going to believe? The testimony that the water declares that this is the Son of God sent to us and for us. The testimony of the blood that Jesus shed his for us. And the Spirit that says this is all true. Are we going to listen to something else? Because the stakes are serious. As John tells us in verses 10 and 12, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. Whoever has a Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And so there's two interconnected things that are at stake here. Whether or not you are calling God a liar and whether or not you have life. Now, you may be thinking, hey, I've never called God a liar. I don't ever remember saying that out loud. And really, most of us aren't that hardened to where we shake a fist at God and say, you're a liar. But that's not what John says. He doesn't say, call God a liar. He says, we make him to be a liar. What John means here is that with our words, with our actions, with our hearts, when we don't believe in Christ, we are saying, God, you're a liar. God, I don't believe you. And really, it doesn't make much difference if we're shaking a fist and verbally saying it or if we're just sort of shrugging our shoulders and just going, eh. Because, I mean, think about this. Husbands, 
If your wife comes home and tells you something very deep and profound and true that she wants you to believe, and you just sort of go, okay, is that going to go well for you? I mean, parents, if you tell your son or daughter something that's very profound and important and true, and they sort of just shrug their shoulders and go, maybe, is that going to go well for them? I mean, does it matter whether or not they say, you're a liar, or they shrug their shoulders? It's the same thing. They're communicating the same thing. Unbelief. And that is what we do when we do not believe the testimony of God, whether it's through a shake fist or a shrug of the shoulders, and we make God out to be a liar. Relatedly, what is also at stake is whether or not you have eternal life the eternal life that God gives. Like John is being blunt and straightforward. Either you have Christ or you don't. Either you have life or you don't. Either you believe in Christ and follow him as the crucified but now resurrected and reigning king, or you don't. Either the life of God through his spirit is inside you, transforming and renewing you, or it's not. And so we don't get to play about with nice sentiments about Jesus. Oh, hear me on this. We can't just go, yeah, you know, Jesus said some cool things. Seems like he was a great teacher. I appreciate about some, so much about some things in the Bible. But to submit to him as Lord, to, to turn from your sin and, and trust in his work alone, uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a bridge too far. Look, you don't get to play about that way. What that means is that you do not have life. You do not have eternal life. John is being very, very clear, painting with very bold colors. Look, life isn't found in a watered-down, reimagined, good-feels version of Jesus that allows you just to tack him on as we tack on so many other self-help teachers. Now, life is only found when we accept the testimony of God himself, when we accept the testimony of the water, the testimony of the blood, and the testimony of the spirits. That's when we experience the life that is in Christ. So let me just address two groups of people. First, for those of you that don't profess faith in Jesus, or, or maybe you're unsure, but you're trending away. The testimony of the water and the blood and the Spirit are very bold. They're very clear. They're very direct. But understand, this is good news for you. This is good news that Jesus is the Son of God sent to save us from our sin by dying on a cross but being resurrected. If Jesus is just a good moral teacher then all he does is give us a lot of moral teachings to strive for and continually fail at. If all Jesus is is a great moral teacher, a spiritual guru, then we're still left to ourselves to fix what's broken. Like, look, we're inundated. We are inundated with self-help teachers, moral gurus, people who spout off tons and tons of wisdom about every subject under the sun. We can go to Barnes & Noble or go on Amazon or jump on a podcast or watch the media and all the experts that they parade out about, hey, this is how you solve your problems. 
But are we any closer to fixing things? Are we any less broken? Are we any less sinful? Are we any less violent? Are we any less lustful and prideful and selfish? Is there any less racism or sexism in this world? No. All that moral teaching does is spout off all these nice little inspirational ideas while we are locked in the death grip of sin. And so Jesus is not, or Jesus is just a moral teacher. He's not a savior. Saviors actually save. Saviors actually change things. That is why this message, this testimony is good news for you. Because if it is the very Son of God who has entered into our world with all authority and all power and all glory, and if he did die on the cross to pay for our sins, to set us free, and was resurrected to life and is coming back again to restore all of his good creation, that changes everything. That is a story of hope. That is an opportunity for real transformation and change. That is an opportunity to experience real freedom. One testimony leaves us to ourselves. And no matter how much we think we try and how much progress we've made, all we're doing is rearranging the furniture. We're not really changing things. One testimony actual, offers actual hope and transformation. One testimony actually offers redemption and eternal life and healing. And so for those of you that wouldn't profess faith in Christ, listen to the testimony of the water and the blood and the spirits. A testimony of life that God himself holds out for you. And for those of you who belong to Christ, like our hearts are no longer in rebellion to God, but let's be honest, we still doubt, we still fear, we still fall into sin. I mean, we've seen that throughout this letter of 1 John, like we know we're gonna sin. So we still need the testimony of the water and the blood and the Spirit. We need to be reminded that it is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who has all power, who has all authority, who has all glory. He is your Savior. He is the one that came for you. And so in the midst of your doubts and your fear, in the midst of your sin, don't lose sight of who came for you. Don't lose sight that it was God himself who stepped from heaven and came for you. Don't lose sight that it is God himself who loves you so much as the blood declares that he went up on a Roman cross and died for you. So no matter how dark it gets in your soul, no matter how painful it gets, no matter how confusing it gets, look to the testimony of the water, look to the testimony of the blood, and let the Spirit of God minister confidence to you. The Spirit of God minister hope to you. Oh, we need these testimonies every day of our lives. Every day as we're locked in a battle against our sin, we're locked in a battle against suffering and trial, those who would oppose us and sin against us, oh, we need to be reminded of who Jesus is. We need to be reminded of the testimony God has declared eternal life. That's what's coming for us. That is what has come and saved us, and that's what's coming when he returns. And so for those of you that are believers this morning, hear this testimony. Take hope in this testimony. Don't move past this testimony. I love this time of year because it's like 
here's the gospel just like held up for us in this wonderful, pure form. And it's almost like the, the culture gives us permission to take all of this and just like hold it up and say, hey, look at who Jesus is. Look at this wonderful testimony of who Jesus is. But if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we leave Jesus in the manger. We, we just sort of celebrate, hey, isn't it cool that Jesus came? And we miss that the very testimony of Christmas itself is the same testimony of the water and the blood. Here's what the angels announced when Jesus came. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord doesn't become Christ, not some dude who becomes Christ, but Christ himself, the Lord himself, the son of the most high. And then Matthew, the angel says to Joseph, she will bear a son and you will, shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. The testimony's been there the whole time. The testimony is there throughout the entire sea of scripture. This is the testimony of God, eternal life in his son. And so this is what God wants you to know. This is what God is calling you to do, believe. Believe in his son. Put your entire hope, your entire faith, all your chips in with Christ. Turn from your sin. Turn from trying to earn your way into heaven. Turn from your self-righteousness and turn to Christ. Receive him as the gift of eternal life. Believe in him. And there you will find hope. There you will find love. There you will find peace. And as we've been reflecting on this morning, there we will find joy. Amen.